Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. Hello, Amy. We have your favorite topic coming up today. Seriously, I really have this love-hate relationship with being known as the mold maven. It's like the club and the area of expertise no one voluntarily signs up for, but I am I am owning it. I'm here and I'm ready. Making funky sexy. Maybe yes. you can maybe that can be like your tagline, mold queen, making like- making fungus. Sexy. Yeah, no one's <laughs> going to hire me for marketing. So all good, but let's just move right along. Um, so today I would love to dive into um, some of the tools around mold detection, like, or even, I guess, ways to prevent it from growing. You can talk us through that a little bit more because mm. I think that prevention is better than cure. And I know you'd agree across the board. And I also think that this topic of mold and um, water damage, hopefully we've put it on people's radar if it hasn't already been. And maybe mm. it's just the worlds that I kind of tend to float in, but I do think that it is becoming something that is spoken about more. So I think we should just dive in. So let's go to the first tool, um, (laughs) which is the thermohygrometer, which Mm -hmm. I just like saying how fun, but I've got (laughs) no bloody idea what it is. So let's let's go with let's just start there. What let's is just start that? there. Okay. So this is one of three tools that I think are essential for every household and office for that matter. Whenever I say house or home, um, this extends to every building that we might occupy. So place of work is definitely included. But essentially the three tools we're going to talk about are required to assess and address moisture in the home. And the reason that is is because where there is moisture, there is mould. Wherever there is mould, we know there's a moisture problem. And the thermohygrometer is a small assessment tool that measures the humidity in its immediate surrounding space and the relative humidity at that. And and probably you've seen one. If you're listening to this and you're like, that sounds one. You do? Well, I have a humidity reader. I call it a humidity reader. Maybe I, I just haven't been using the right term. That's perfect. I mean, it depends what it what it measures. So I've got one here in my office. And if you listen to this podcast, you won't be able to see me holding this up. But um, I've got one in every single room. And this one is called a thermohygrometer because it also measures the temperature. And that's important because that does tend to drive how much moisture the air can hold. Warmer air can hold more moisture. 
And as soon as it gets cooler, we start to see water condensing out of the atmosphere and we see condensation. But basically, it's a way of monitoring the humidity in that room or that immediate environment. I've got one in my wardrobe. Um, I've got one in the living area. I've got one in my office and I've got one in my husband's office. And essentially, by keeping an eye on what's going on with the humidity, you can take measures to return the humidity to the ideal zone anytime it slips out of what we would consider to be ideal for our health. And I guess that lends itself naturally to me sharing with you what that even is. So Mm -hmm. the ideal range for relative humidity, which is different to absolute humidity, Um, But ideal range for relative humidity is 45 to 55%. Now, (laughs) as of this recording, I'm currently sitting at 76%. You had to pull out your measures quick, smart. Yes, absolutely. We'll talk about why that's such a problem in a second, but that is obviously way outside what we would consider to be an ideal environment from a health perspective. Mm. So... Shall I talk about why why it has to be between 45 and 55%? Yes, because I'm really curious in particular, like I get the why not being more than 55%, but I don't understand why it shouldn't be drier than 45%. So please, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So the reason 45 to 55% is considered ideal, and I guess from a mold perspective, let's talk about when it's too high, there's too much moisture in the air. Once you approach 60% and go over it, we start to see dust mites proliferating and dust mites are gross for a start, just gross, but they're Mm. also one of the primary drivers of allergies. So rashes, um, sneezes, sniffles, itchiness, um, watery eyes, runny nose, all of that sort of stuff. So if you're allergic to dust mites, gosh, it can be really challenging because it doesn't take much moisture for them to spring into life and start having their way with the microbiome of your home. But once you hit 70 and go over that, we start to see mold proliferating. So ambient moisture levels can absolutely feed yeast and fungi in the environment. And of course, the bacteria that are there as well and other microorganisms and shift the microbiome of your home unfavorably and to a degree that it will likely make you unwell in some way. And so by keeping it below 60% and ideally no higher than 55, you just stay away from those upper levels where we start to see the creepy crawlies growing, reproducing and taking over your home um, in an invisible manner, but in a manner that your immune system will react to. But The question you have is one that I do commonly get is, well, if, you know, between 45 and 55 is good, is 40 and below better? (laughs) Like, can we just get this Sahara desert dry so nothing will grow? Um, And unfortunately, it's this bell curve for human beings as far as the ideal humidity for our health goes. So when we think about humidity, it's a bigger conversation beyond microorganisms 
And what that means is if it's too dry, our skin dries out. Our skin's a really important physical barrier against infection and injury and weathering the environmental elements. Um, It also dries out our mucous membranes and dry mucous membranes are more vulnerable to infection and degradation. Um, It can also impact our internal hydration which can then throw out electrolytes and shift, you know, our fluid balance. And so at first glance, it sounds, you know, I can understand how thinking let's just go drier and drier to just prevent any mold from ever even thinking about surviving in my house. But actually, you know, there's a, if you tip too far the other way, it will compromise your health in other ways. So the sweet spot for human health and the microbiome of the home is 45 to 55%. Right. Okay. So I have a few follow-up questions to this. Mm -hmm. One is a very practical question, which is where do you get these devices, tools, Mm -hmm. measuring humidity for Mm -hmm. people who aren't necessarily building biologists. So I know that um, there's obviously differences in equipment that someone might just get as a consumer versus the kinds of equipment a building biologist Mm -hmm. will have. How does that kind of situation affect this particular device? So thankfully, thermohygrometers are pretty simple devices. And although a building biologist or a certified mold testing technician or even some building inspectors will have very high-end expensive equipment that's very sensitive and, you know, very accurate and quick to recalibrate going room to room, when it comes to just keeping an eye on the relative humidity at home for anybody else, a really basic thermohygrometer is honestly enough. Um, most hardware stores will sell them. So places like Bunnings, J-Car. Um, I have ordered mine from Instrument Choice. So their website's instrumentchoice.com.au. I think that from memory, they were like 25 bucks each. They're usually between 20 and $30. And with that, you don't need a really expensive one. They run cheaply on a battery. I think I bought my first I bought them in 2017 and I literally had to change the batteries in the last six months. So it's lasted like four years, super cheap to operate. Um, The one thing I will say is just ensure you put them in a place where you would occupy the airspace. And what I mean by that is don't pop them down on the floor um, where it's, you know, more to that. Well, unless you live on the floor. (laughs) That's where you spend your time. Yes, if you like to live on the floor, well, maybe that is the right place. Um, but also up high on a shelf or up near the ceiling is also not right. Somewhere sort of between, you know, hip height and eye height is good. So it might be a kitchen bench or a bookshelf. Um, my, you know, I've got one on my desk here um, and in my wardrobe I've got one sort of on a shelf in the middle there. And that way it's sort of capturing, I guess, an average across what that airspace would be. Um yeah, and then and that's all you need to do is just keep an eye on it. If you're noticing elevated um, levels of humidity, then you want to be sort of questioning where that moisture is coming from. If you live somewhere like I do in the Northern Rivers, well, the humidity here from the moisture and the you know the rain and things is you know is pretty obvious. But mm. if if you've got one particular room, for example, that's always a lot higher than the others, 
that would suggest to me there is a, an external moisture source um, possibly that is influencing the amount of moisture in the air in that room and, and obviously would prompt further investigations. But truly just a cheap and cheerful plastic job um, is going to be enough. I think the important thing though is to have enough of them in your home. Now, you know, if you want to have one in every single room and in your hallway, knock yourself out. But I think the most important things are to have one in every room that you spend time in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just to keep an eye on, you know, the, the sort of the general overview of the home. If you've got multiple stories, you want at least one in, on every story and really at least one on either side of the home, especially north-south, because, of course, one side of the home will get a lot more sun and light than the other side, and that could mean the south side of the home or any areas of the home that's in shade might need a bit more I guess, proactive support in keeping the moisture levels regulated. Mm, I love that. And um, I feel so successful when I walk past my, um, I, I don't call it the same thing as you're like the, no, <laughs> the humidity reader. Yes. Humidity reader. <laughs> and it's between that optimal range. I'm always like, like I, I feel a little bit superior. <laughs> I don't know, superior to who or what, but I'm just like, <laughs> Huh, humidity's good today. <laughs> like, who dis? <laughs> anyway, that's just that's just me. Now, I want I am restraining myself from asking you how all of the strategies of decreasing humidity and all that, because I'm aware that that will send you on a very long tangent, which yes. is definitely a conversation for another episode. But also, I want to remind people, which we'll talk a little bit more about at the end, but. Your mold proof your home course, I think, is like the perfect place to learn all of this. So yes. I really want to focus on making sure we get through the tools. Yes. So just in case anyone was like, why didn't she ask the question that was obvious? <laughs> um, because you'll yeah, notice what one. happens when I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For good yeah. reason. For good yes. reason. <laughs> okay. So let's well actually before I move on, is there anything else that you want to say about the thermohygrometer before we move to the next one? Well, we'll talk about how you can bring down the humidity when we talk about the third tool. Um, probably the last thing I'll say is if you notice it's too dry in your home, you need to put moisture back in the air. Um, that doesn't happen very often for me. I think it's happened maybe a handful of times in the last four years that I've been keeping an eye on it. But mm. I have seen um, the moisture, well, how humidity levels drop down to, you know, as low as 35, but even 40. And you can feel it. You feel dry. You feel a bit parched. And you can use humidifiers. You can, if you've got like an essential oil diffuser that uses water, you can do that. But even just putting bowls of water out in the home, if it's warm, assuming there's any sort of ambient heat, then the water will just ev evaporate into the um, uh, atmosphere and just rehydrate the mm. air a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably, yeah, it's probably enough to share there because, yes, it's a big rabbit hole around like where is that moisture coming from. So, yeah. Okay, I can't help myself. I have one question. It's a selfish yes. one. And I also know that other people will have it. You just mentioned diffusers that are based in, like that use water as a base and then you drop mm. your oils in. Mm. If you're already in a humid environment, is it mm. not ideal to be using water-based um, essential oil diffusers? And in which case, what's the alternative to diffuse mm. your oils? 
Yes. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question, actually, because this is something I see a lot, especially there has been an explosion of popularity in the aromatherapy space and using essential oils for medicinal purposes. And I do see a lot of diffusers who, who, <laughs> they're not human, that. <laughs> <laughs> who knows with time, Amy? Who knows what AI Yeah, I know. Can you with? tell? I love mine. I, I actually, I'll tell you what I use in a minute, but, um, they do you they they pride themselves on not using heat and they use like forced moisture like a spray almost to deliver the oils into the environment but yes they're a shocker for causing moisture problems locally and even in that room so on that bench or on that bookshelf or near the bed so your mattress and your pillow are absorbing moisture oh dear. Um, it's not it's not trouble. good yeah, I know. It's really upsetting. Um, and also there's also been a bit of, expo- of an explosion with people using humidifiers in their in their bedroom as well mm. for beauty purposes, but also to support breathing when, you know, they're having difficulties and you've just got to be so careful with that. So the alternatives are, well, my favorite way to do it is using an aroma stone or it's a ceramic or an electric oil diffuser. And they come in a variety of designs and shapes, but essentially it's a ceramic chunk of ceramic. Mine's like almost a sphere, but with like a, um, a depression in the top and it has an electric element inside it. Now, the one that I have is a very low temperature. You can keep it on all the time. It doesn't denature the essential oils or alter their properties in any way, but it's just warm enough for it to evaporate into the air. And the nice thing about it is it's flame-free because there are also ones that use a candle, so it's quite safe. Um, and you can, yeah, it also doesn't put moisture into the environment at all either. So that would be my first choice. You can also get like porous rocks or timber and drop oils on it and just allow it to just naturally evaporate as well. But that sort of depends on the temperature and other things. And, you know, if you really want the oils in your environment and so you can inhale them, like an electric diffuser would be what I would recommend. And yeah, no water, no flame and no excessive heat. All right, got some shopping to do. <laughs> right. Should I put the link? I'll put the link in the show notes for yes, please the do. one that I have. And I'm not saying it's the best one, um, but it is... I love it. I love it so much. I've given them as presents. I've bought a second one for my home. Um, So yeah, 10 out of 10 recommend. Great. Love that. And yes, we'll put it in the show notes. So let's move on to the second tool, which is a moisture meter. And I would love you to explain what this is and how it differs to the thermohygrometer. Mm, Okay. So this is another tool to measure moisture, but where the thermohygrometer is measuring moisture in the air, a moisture meter is measuring moisture in building materials. And when I say that, what I mean is your walls, skirting boards, floors, carpets, ceilings, uh, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. so it operates a little bit differently. It's like a handheld device. Um, Some of them look a bit like a, actually look a bit like a TV remote control. (laughs) So the smaller ones that you sort of buy um, for, which would, you know, be in a more affordable bracket to have as a household tool um, look like that. The ones that building biologists and certified 
mold testing technicians use are a bit chunkier and a bit heavier. Um, they almost look like the shape of like a giant magnifying glass. It's got a huge digital display and it's got a number, it measures lots of different things and has a pinless feature. Um, but typically the ones that are under $500 only have the pins. So basically if you can imagine a TV remote control device, and you, at one end, you sort of lift a cap off it. There's two really sharp spikes inside and they are the moisture pins. So once you've taken the cap off, there's a couple of ways you can use the pins. So at times when I've been checking for moisture problems, I've just very gently pressed the pins against the material that I'm looking for initially um, or pressed them in, in a very shallow manner. The thing is, if you push them all the way in, you're going to leave little holes, which are very easy to fill um, with just a little bit of filler. But if you're moisture mapping something, you want to be sure there's something there to test before you start puncturing <laughs> all of the building materials. You know um, me well. I'd be like, I will find, I will hunt you down, and I will find you with this meter. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So it is something you just want to be mindful of, you know, do you own the property? Do you rent? What color is the building material that you're testing? Are you going to be able to feel like if it's white plasterboard, that's easy. Um, but if it's, if it's something else like timber, well, you might just want to be a little bit more mindful of whether or not you're going to, you know, do that or not. Um, the pinless, the only thing with the pin moisture meters is they can only measure moisture as deep as the pins can go. So the limitation that they have is they can't pick up moisture that might be deeper in the material or in the materials behind it. And that's where, of course, a professional assessment can make all the difference um, where the pinless um, option uses uh, frequencies that actually can detect the moisture in much deeper um, parts of the building materials. But what it does allow you to do is to see whether or not there's an obvious leak that needs to be addressed. So, you know, we talked about the thermohygrometer being important to see whether there's high humidity in the air. And if there's one particular room that's a lot wetter or damper than the others, the moisture's got to be coming from somewhere. So, is it the roof is leaking? Is it there's a pipe burst? Is it that the waterproof membranes in the bathroom and the ensuite next door have mm. failed and now there's moisture leaking under the flooring and into the floorboards or under the carpet? And the moisture meter just allows you to do a bit of an initial hunt around and have a look and identify if there's anything there, especially if you're noticing anything else. Like, for example, if you've noticed a, a darkening in one area of the ceiling or even just an outright water stain, you're going to be able to see how far the moisture has gone and therefore how much of that material needs to be taken out and replaced. So what I like about it is with water leaks is sometimes, especially if the volume of water is low and or you're in a drier environment or a well-ventilated sunny environment, which is what happened to me in Manly, you can end up having a leak go for a very long time and not know. In fact, the leak that my in-laws had was 15 years old by the time it sort of became obvious. Mm -hmm. So in, in that time, you know, you can 
obviously have significant deterioration of building materials, structural issues that can ultimately be quite dangerous. But from a health perspective, that is a very, very long time for toxigenic pathogenic molds and bacteria to be proliferating and spewing their chemical contents into your environment and you're inhaling that and absorbing that and ingesting it. And so by, you know, if you if you notice something suspicious in a room or in your house, something that you see or smell or sense, it's just a really quick way of identifying if there's an issue much earlier on rather than waiting for, a, you know, a wall to actually grow a patch of mould or a ceiling to cave in or for floorboards to start to warp and buckle and swell. Mm, yeah. Okay. Or your health to go down the toilet, by the way. Your health going down the toilet is often the first sign. So <laughs> yes, let's not have out. that. Yes. yes. <laughs> and um, and where, where can people kind of get these devices? Like is it, again, another thing where you can mm. pick up somewhere locally? Do you have to mm. order them online? Is there anything to look out for um, specifically? So you just want to make sure they are they have like an Australian approved certification. So if you're buying something from overseas, you just can't be sure you're not getting a bit of a dodgy plastic toy. So buy locally. Um, There was a time that I was recommending the one that Bunnings sell, the Cromelin moisture meter. And it's cheap. It's like $59.95. However, what I've noticed is they clap out really quickly and I don't know if that's just me, but I've I ended up I've been through three of them, and within six to twelve months, it, it doesn't work anymore, and changing the battery doesn't help. So I no longer recommend those ones. Uh, I, in fact, if you go back to instrumentchoice.com.au, um, they have ones for under two hundred dollars, and just the quality is really good, much better. Um, each one is different though. So you obviously want to check that it can be calibrated. You want to make sure it comes with um, a legend, which tells you like what setting to have it on for what material. So you couldn't just use it. You couldn't just go from concrete to timber, to plasterboard, to tile, and without changing the setting for it to sort of adjust itself based on the density and the nature of the material. Um, The other thing is the legend, if it's not on the back, which I know the Bunnings one was, um, it'll be in a pamphlet. And that'll also allow you to know whether or not the reading that you've got is high or low or okay. So, and that's different based on materials because all materials have a certain capacity for holding moisture. So it's, you know, it's pretty rare you're going to get something that says um, 0% all the time. But when you're using it, I guess just to explain a little more about how it can be a useful tool is if you were to imagine the area you were testing, let's imagine it's your lounge wall. Um, If you were to divide that into sort of a square meter, like a square meter grid, and you were testing sort of every 60 centimeters horizontally and vertically, it's going to allow you to see changes in the material. So like, for example, where I live, the humidity is high a lot of the time. If we've been out for the day and the windows have been open, obviously the humidity inside is going to be elevated, which means the moisture is going to be contacting the plasterboard walls and contributing to um, surface moisture. 
So the the amount of moisture we're going to pick up if we moisture map at that time will be different after we've run the dehumidifier. However, what you're really looking for is if, let's say one side is like 3.5%, 4%, but as you approach the bathroom <laughs> on the right-hand side of the lounge, it starts to climb up to 15 20%. That indicates that there is some moisture coming from inside the walls that's different to the moisture outside. Same goes if you're moisture mapping vertically and you notice that there's more moisture as you get closer to the ceiling. That could say, in, you know, indicate some guttering issues, water coming in through from the roof, um, or vice versa. If you notice moisture um, closer to the floor, there might be rising damp or a burst pipe or something in the walls. So it just starts to give you an idea of where the water is coming from um, and, and allows you to then engage the right, you know, tradesmen to sort it out as well. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. That's such a good point because, I mean, it's it's definitely an area where until someone teaches you it, you learn about how it all works. It's very hard. It's very hard to understand. I mean, I maybe it's just me. I find it very hard to understand. Um, but when you explain it in the way that you do, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. I can do those things. I might have absolutely no chance at fixing the issue myself, <laughs> but at least you know who mm. to ask help from next. Mm, mm. And what I feel like some of this stuff is coming back to again is that being proactive about it and catching on to potential problems or problems at early stages to avoid having to spend large amounts of money, compromise your health further mm. in mm. the long run, which I really like because I have to say that the more I've gone through my own health journey and things like that and the more I've witnessed other people's, I really think that the short-term inconvenience of doing something about a problem, regardless mm. of whether it's in your home or in your body, mm. it's it's a far better inconvenient short-term than it is trying to rectify everything over the long term but it's just not how our society mm. is set up and I even think to speak to I guess a little bit of how our culture here particularly in Australia just like get on with it don't worry about it soldier mm. on I think that's a little bit everywhere mm. and I just think this is another beautiful <clears throat> reminder of prevention and being proactive with it because it will shorten cost energy all those kinds of things if you are yeah, 100%. I think um, so much of our, the way our society has been set up, everyone's stretched very thin, you know, mm. between relationships, work, study, you know, drinking two litres of water, like the million and one things we've got to do as humans to keep our lives ticking over. I know how it might feel initially like, God, it's just another thing to do, but the way I like to think about it is if you own a car, you need to get it serviced regularly. Sometimes the parts get worn out and every time you go to register it, it needs a safety check really once it's of a certain age to ensure it's roadworthy. And we do that to keep ourselves safe. And it is something that we get trained to do from, you know, when we get our first car, not that I always serviced my first car, let's be honest, but like, you know, we know what we're supposed to do and we know why and we appreciate how important that is. This is something that we don't, we haven't been trained to do. It's not somewhere where people are educated and, and implementing change and new habits can be tricky, but I can tell you 
the difference between preventing an issue or catching it early and then versus having to clean it up, it is, it's it's bigger than the Grand Canyon. And I say that having experienced it, but also having supported people through this as well. Once toxic mold makes you unwell, you can become so sensitive to a water-damaged building, your life becomes incredibly restrictive. I want to give you just one, ex- a couple of extreme examples just to, um, I don't know, I'm not trying to scare anyone, but what, I want, what I'm impressing home here is that if you can avoid this, it's going to cost you far less money, far less effort, very little stress and energy than it would to recover from something had you caught it early. And I hope this motivates you to just implement this as part of your, you know, part of your home maintenance schedule. So one example, public example I can give you is there are two MPs that have mold illness or SIRS. One of them has been very public about her journey and her name is Lucy Wicks. And she is sort of in the greater Sydney area on the central coast, if my memory serves me right. And I may not have, I don't have all the details of her story, but the overview is there was a storm, a tree crashed onto the roof of her home, obviously crushed the ceiling and a lot of water came into the home and they couldn't have it dealt with immediately because, you know, there was like it was a state of emergency in that area from, from the storms, but also the knowledge of why you need to get things dry within 48 hours wasn't there. And she developed SIRS to the point where she can't tolerate going into Parliament House. She had she bought herself like an outdoor portable pagoda to have all of her meetings and I think it was the NBN project she had to resign from. It was some project she was on, but she just wasn't able to go into the rooms to have the meetings. And so she had to let that um, part of her portfolio go. And for her, she had the journey that everyone gets when they have mold illness or almost everyone going to the doctor, no one being able to explain what's wrong with her, telling her her blood tests are fine, telling her that she's fine, which is essentially suggesting all of the symptoms you're complaining of are being manufactured in your own mind and then having to sort of find her way. And, you know, she was really lucky um, to see an integrative GP who was mold aware SIRS literate in Sydney, Dr. Mark Donahoe, and, um, you know, has recovered to a degree. But the issue with that is often the home that makes you sick, even if you have it remediated to a medical grade or standard, often you can't tolerate that home. And what it also lends itself to is the molds that made you unwell can set you off on other buildings. So many people can't go to shopping centres, libraries. I personally have to be very careful with movie theatres. Um, you know, I can't go to most cinemas. There's this beautiful um, heritage-listed building in Willembar that has like this grand old cinema and it's beautiful, but it's incredibly mouldy. I can't go and see a movie there. 90 minutes later, I'm going to be crook for a week. Mm. So you know, that's something that I still carry with me now. I'm not not as strict. Like there was a time when I was really sick, um, apart from the fact that I was so unwell, I couldn't socialise and I often didn't have the energy. But, you know, if a dear friend, a dear friend, you know, invited me to dinner for a birthday at a restaurant in Manly and Manly's pretty mouldy and I had to go to the restaurant 
to check it out before I accepted the invitation. And I went there and realized it was a bit moldy. And so I declined coming for dinner and I, and I just said, oh, look, I can't make dinner, but I'll drop in for a, you know, a drink, you know, at the end for half an hour or something. And it absolutely railroads your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't get on trains. A lot of public buses are poisonous to me. And if I hadn't become that unwell, if, if you know, we detected what was going on earlier, I may have been able to avoid that level of sensitization. Now, uh, the most extreme example I can give you was a client of mine and she, there was a water leak at home. She was a teenager and it was, the bathroom was um, on the other side of her bedroom wall where her bed head was. So she was basically right on top of it. She ended up in a coma for three years and then she was bedridden for another eight. And when she was well enough to, she moved into a tent into her parents' backyard. She could only shower and reverse osmosis water and she was so intolerant to foods. It was only three things she could eat. And she was incredibly sensitive to EMFs as a result. So anytime your body is poisoned, you become chemically sensitive and you become less and less tolerant to just any other environmental stimuli. But also Mm. the inflammation sets up an immune and neuroimmunological response where you become sensitive to a lot of other things, um, including EMFs. So her only way to communicate with the world was like a hardwired iPad in her tent. Um, She couldn't even wash her dishes in normal tap water and she couldn't use dishes from her parents' home because the adsorption of the mycotoxins is irreversible. And so she was a bit like a bubble boy, I suppose. Um, And, you know, it wasn't till the age of 27 that she was actually starting to do things that people do at 18. Now that's, I think the most extreme example I've ever heard of either personally or, or in the literature or in, you know, um, the cases that I know of in our, in our toxic mold support groups. But, you know, it was a real struggle for her. You know, I helped her um, arrange a sabbatical in a different state and, you know, she was so sensitive, the smell of coffee would set off seizures, epileptic seizures, but she had to get a flight to get to this other place. And so it's, it's debilitating. There's not even a word that describes how debilitating it can get if mm. your exposure is high or for an extended period of time. Now, most people won't have a story that extreme. Hopefully not anyway, but the issue is, you know, the longer it's allowed to go on, the more it will take for you to recover your health and the more strict you'll have to be with your environment. So when you contrast that with keeping an eye on the humidity, you know, once a day, and if you notice something strange, getting your moisture meter out, it just really pales in comparison to what you're trying to prevent. Mm. Um, And so I hope that you know, that really scary example just highlights why doing these things would ideally become part of your routine, just like you floss and brush your teeth Mm. and shower. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, gosh, it's, it's wild. I, I haven't had mold illness, but I have had chronic 
like chronic fatigue, I guess we'll label label it as. Um, and I I was I was lucky, I guess, to only be sick for like really sick and unable to, you know, live my life in any way that felt recognizable for a good year. And I it just mm. infiltrates every part of your life. And I think I so feel for her because it's I mean it's horrible at any time, but being in your 20s or 30s or like in your late teens where I was it's it's kind of a time where you know a lot of people are doing lots of social things and that's part of it and you are kind of like a bit more flexible I guess with your lifestyle like a lot of people are and it just gets to a point where you really, which I think we spoke about in a in one of the mold episodes earlier when you were sharing your story, like you really have to pick where mm-hmm. am I going to spend my energy this day? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think while these kinds of stories are incredibly confronting to hear sometimes, I also think there's different ways of looking at it. You can either be like, oh, shit, hope that doesn't mm-hmm. happen to me. That sounds horrific, which it is, mm-hmm. or okay, so what I'm hearing is that this is what I can do to be aware of an issue before I get to that kind of position. And Mm. I think I always come back to your body always tells you, like your body always knows. And I think for many of us, myself included, I've had to be like knocked the fuck out a few times before Mm -hmm. I started to go, you know what? I am going to listen to the whispers now. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can somehow, and I don't say this on a pedestal because I didn't get there the, the quote-unquote right way, mm. but if you can somehow learn to listen to the whispers without having to get completely knocked out, then mm. you're doing yourself a huge, huge favour. Huge favour. <laughs> yeah, we're both yeah. like, save yeah. yourself now. Yes, yes. I learned the hard way too. I ignored so many of those symptoms. Again, because I didn't know. I just didn't know what they were indicating, which is why I'm banging on about mould so often. But it, it really does, it will make all the difference if you can avoid it in the first place. Yeah, totally. Well, let's move on to the final uh, tool, which Mm -hmm. is a dehumidifier. So even though I do feel like a large chunk of people will know what this one is, do you want to just quickly explain what it is? And yeah, I guess like, does everyone need one would be the other quick question (laughs) that I have. And then we can um, go Mm. further from there. So if humidity is moisture in the air, a dehumidifier or a dehumidity maker, (laughs) you might like to call it that, um, actually sucks the moisture out of the air. And there's a couple of ways it does that. There's, you know, desiccant um, dehumidifiers, there's refrigerant dehumidifiers, but they, they both help to draw water out of the air and collect it inside the machine so that you can pour it, you know, down the sink or down the toilet or use it to water the gardens you know, um, once it's full. And what it means is anytime you see your humidity sort of climbing above 55 and approaching 60 or, or higher, or it's higher, you can shut the house down, turn it on and allow it to dry the house down and get the humidity back into an ideal zone because raised or elevated moisture levels, within 12 hours, you actually get bacteria growing. Mm. But it takes about 48 hours for mold to kick off. Uh, so 
with that, you sort of if you're sort of checking once a day and correcting it, you know, either during the day if you're out at work or at night in areas where you're not sleeping um, when you're at home, you can dry it down so that there's not enough moisture for microorganisms to begin to proliferate because they need moisture and they need food. Our building materials are the perfect food for them and our furnishings and our clothes and our shoes and our handbags and our books and our photos. And so you can't remove the food source. So the only thing that's really in your power is managing the moisture. So, yeah, with the dehumidifier, you can just bring that right back down really, really quickly. Um, Does everyone need one? Look, the short answer is yes. I consider it to be an essential household maintenance item, just like a vacuum. And the reason I say that is, of course, for those of us that live in high humidity areas, um, we'll need to use it more often. Uh, People who live in damp areas will need it more often. People who live in areas which, which get lots of rain will need it more often. But the thing is, moisture levels can become out of control for lots of reasons. Homes, no home is immune to a roof leak. No home is immune to a burst water pipe. Um, No home can withstand weeks and weeks of heavy, heavy rain, you know, with nowhere for that moisture to go. So what it means is if, you know, let's say the dishwasher leaks or someone accidentally gets into the hot tub and fills it up with bubbles and the whole thing overflows and, you know, you can actually use the dehumidifier to very quickly dry down and absorb or or collect all of that moisture so it doesn't become a problem and stay in the building materials supporting fungal and bacterial growth. So even if you live in a place that doesn't get much rain or is quite dry, there's a good chance you're going to need it at some stage. And unless you're in a a metro area where you can easily hire one from like canards, for example, in the event of a leak or a flood or a spill, it's just, you've you've really got a very short window of time to get things dry. And I Mm. think having something on site to pull out immediately is really important. The other thing um, to consider is, especially with apartment living or if you're in an energy efficient home, unfortunately, modern builds are more prone to mold from the point of view that they're sealing them up too tight. The buildings can't breathe. And it's estimated that per person in the household, we emit 10 litres of water a day. So that's sweat, breath, vapour, but also like the moisture we sort of put into the environment from showering and from cooking and that water has got to go somewhere so if your house is closed up because it's freezing cold or you're in an apartment with poor ventilation which is very common in the big cities um, or you're in a really it's awful but the eco-friendly energy efficient homes often do not consider the importance of good ventilation and are just sealed watertight it's like moisture in a plastic bag like just can't get out so it's going to ruin everything inside so Mm. for those areas you're going to need it more but it just lastly drying your washing like literally everyone has done a load of washing and it's either not been sunny enough or windy enough or dry enough it's been raining or cloudy and we've got to get our clothes dry so we hang them inside now as the water evaporates where does it go into your ambient air and into the building materials. 
And so even just from getting your laundry dry perspective, like put it on a clothes horse in the smallest room that you have. You might even want to do it in your bathroom or laundry, but otherwise the smallest room, shut the door, run the dehumidifier. Your clothes will get dry so much faster. And instead of the moisture evaporating into the air and into your mattress and your pillow and your clothes and your shoes, it's going to be collected by the dehumidifier for you to pour down a drain somewhere and mm. will preserve, you know, not only the health of your clothes because they're not going to go moldy if they're damp for a few days um, or put away not completely dry, but also protect the home in which you're drying them inside. So, yeah, I do think short answer is yes, every house should have one. Mm, I love that. I remember you taught me that a while ago and I stopped mm. drying. I mean, I didn't really dry clothes inside very often, but there was the odd occasion and then I became a bit of a at-home Nazi about clothes not being dried inside. Not extreme or black and white over here at all, friends. Yes. No, um, not all or nothing. That's not <laughs> Nat at all. <laughs> oh, funny. All right. So I do have a few other questions that relate to this. So first of all, devil's advocate, can you not just open the window and get airflow through um to help with that like what's what's your um rebuttal to that one (laughs) so so there's a couple of things to consider around that um when there's moisture in the air it's attracted to the driest place or driest materials so even if the humidity outside was the same as the humidity inside or even slightly lower, there is going to be some absorption by your walls and your ceilings and your couch and your cushions and your favourite doona. And so it's much more effective and efficient to allow the dehumidifier to collect the moisture than to hope that it escapes outside. But ultimately, the outside is always going to want to balance with the inside. So unless it's dry outside, and I'm talking like 50% or less, maybe maybe 55% or less, you're not actually going to achieve anything by opening the windows. Mm. And in addition to that, if you live in a high humidity area like I do, or it's been raining, or the humidity outside is higher than inside, opening the windows is simply allowing more moisture to come into your home Mm. and not get out. And so I know it's really, it seems simple enough, just open the windows, but it's, that's not how it works. Bummer. Bummer. I know it's such a bummer. (laughs) I'm like, bummer. Opening the windows is easy. I'm such, I love having everything open I'm I'm always that that person in our house I'm like leave it open yes (laughs) I mean fresh air is good I mean we know that the air quality inside a home is usually two sometimes five times worse than outdoor air quality so opening up the windows and getting fresh air and ventilation is a really important part of a healthy home it's just a tricky balance so I'll tell you how we do it here just to give you an example of Mm. how we do this so Kind of depends on the weather, but at the moment it's not too hot. And so upstairs we've got the house closed down and the air con running so that it's always hotter upstairs. So whenever we go upstairs for lunch or to do stuff, it's a bit cooler and it's drying down 
the upstairs level where we sleep. So at night we can open up all the doors and windows and have fresh air coming in while we sleep. Mm. And then while we're working down here, we've got everything open for fresh air, but we'll close it up and run the dehumidifier once we go upstairs. So we sort of swap between the two because we work from home. Now, if you were someone um, who, you know, all the occupants of the house go to work during the day, you could close down the house and run the dehumidifier so it's nice and dry when you get home and then throw everything open um, when, when you get there in the evening. Um, but if it's super hot, you might want to close everything up and run the air con while you're in it, um, especially during summer. That's what it's like for us because it's too hot to sleep otherwise. So mm-hmm. you just have to consider in a 24-hour period, like when can you dry a space down and maybe you do it room by room there was a time where my cat would he likes to run around at night because his eyesight's not very good for day for daylight and so we would have the garage door up a little bit and then the interior door open so he could come in and out and that was allowing a lot of moisture to get into the downstairs and so we would just close our offices and run the dehumidifiers inside them and not worry about the hallway, which is tiled. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the solution has to be somewhat personalised based on how you use the space, where the moisture is coming from, what your personal preferences are, and, of course, balancing that all-important fresh air and, and cross-flow ventilation. Um, but as you can see, you know, I, I see it a lot in this area and even my dear friends who have heard me talk about mould a lot um, are dealing with a bit of an issue and I've said to them, you know, about monitoring the humidity and, and they said just what you said, oh, but we keep the windows open. And I'm like, well, <laughs> when it's really humid outside, that's not it's not helping you out, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's like the biggest blessing ever to be your friend. And then sometimes when you know all of the things that are going to go wrong in my home, I'm like, no, no, it's fine in here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me do another thing. Don't make me. (laughs) Oh, it's hilarious. Um, Okay. And then I guess further on the dehumidifier topic as well, what is the difference between a dehumidifier and an air purifier? And yeah, do you need both? Are there like, are there combination machines that smush the two together? Like talk a little bit more about that perhaps. Yeah. So I do another mistake I see people making when they have a mold problem is just buying an air purifier, which is sort of trying to band-aid like, you know, a really bad wound <laughs> with a tiny little mm-hmm. plaster. Um, it is it is a lovely tool to purify the airspace, but if you're not addressing where the pollutants are coming from, you're really not getting to the root cause of the problem. Now, look, if you live near a main road and you're using it to obviously um, deal with fuel emissions and, you know, the chemicals and the heavy metals that come along with that, obviously you can't, lift your house somewhere else you might not be able to move right now and you can't get the council to move the road of course that's probably the best you can do but Mm. it doesn't deal with moisture which doesn't actually address the mold problem so you know you're constantly trying to clean something that is continually being dirtied Um, that being said it can be a really helpful instrument to clean up an environment or make an environment more tolerable while you're getting 
the problem sorted out, especially if you've got something that needs to be remediated. So when it comes to choosing, one doesn't replace the other, but you can, depending on the scale of your issue, get two and one. So I actually have two at home. I've got um, a dehumidifier and air purifier in one. It's a Philips I don't know if it's a 2,000 or a 5,000, and I really like it. Um, that being said, my environment is very clean already. I'm not, I don't have any major, you know, toxic load in the airspace that needs, you know, some heavy-duty cleaning. Um, that being said, what's really interesting is anytime the air quality is bad, it sort of kicks into high gear and goes red, like this angry red, and mm. it is an opportunity for me to go, oh, what's that? Like what have I disturbed or why has that gone south? Um, the thing with the two-in-one machines, though, is you can never get the best performance out of both. You're sort of getting a more average dehumidification yeah. experience or air purification experience. Now, it's a good solution, especially if you your budget will only allow you to buy one thing and you can set it up to run continuously. But in an ideal world, you'd buy just like the Rolls-Royce dehumidifier that can just Sahara Desert dry your house in five seconds and you'd buy a Rolls-Royce air purifier that has it like hospital-grade cleanliness, you know. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can use those things independently. They do two different things. But sometimes, you know, especially if you've got a couple of levels, which means you'd be looking at maybe four devices, you're better off just getting two two-in-ones and just running them more continuously and moving them around in the mm. space. Mm. Okay. I like that. Mm. I have a I have a very shit um, de, uh, technical term, uh, <laughs> dehumidifier, but a good air purifier. So nice. perhaps when I, yes, when I'm going, when I'm doing my next little self-care purchase, I will mm-hmm. be maybe upgrading isn't that funny? These are the things that I get excited about. It's like, oh, a new home, healthy home tool. <laughs> you know what? I think this is like the sign of middle age. Like I got, <laughs> I actually paid someone to come and reorganize and my fridge. Like I think that's peak middle age. And oh. I open the door and it just makes me so happy. So happy yeah. that house proudness. It must mean you're truly hashtag adulting, right? Gosh, I feel like I've probably been adulting since I was about I don't know sixteen. Then I've always been <laughs> that friend. I love myself a good fridge clean. Side note, and the mm-hmm. satisfaction of opening it and seeing everything in the right spot, mm. full, so mm. good. I also get a real high from um, getting to the end of the week and very intelligently and skillfully using all of the leftover vegetables, like the ones that are kind of starting to get a bit like, oh, how are you going? Using that to make sure they don't, like nothing's wasted. Just heart, heart so happy with with myself. (laughs) You Um, are my people. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while to find them, but I have have definitely got more people that are like, oh, I feel so seen around me now, which is great. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the other thing, well, the last thing I want to ask on the dehumidifier before we just make sure that there's nothing else you want to share about, yeah, Mm. mold or moisture in the home detection is Mm. what, like, as far as dehumidifier brands go, you mentioned, I think the one you have, but 
what are, mm. are there any other that others that come off the top of your head that you can think of, or perhaps you can pop some in the show notes, depending on what you can think of at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so there are lots of good brands and really choosing the best one is quite individual. So depending on the climate you're in, a refrigerant type setup might be better than a desiccant. Uh, it also depends on like for me, the, um, I think the volume that mine collects is something like 10 litres. Now, if you're in a really humid environment or trying to dry a lot of moisture, you're going to fill that very quickly. And if you go to work in an office during the day, it'll shut off uh, once Mm. the bucket's full. So you need to think about can this one be plumbed in? And, And when I say plumbed in, that sounds a lot more hardcore than it actually is. What I mean by that is, can you, is there an option to attach a tube to it? Like mine have both come with a tube, you just screw in and then you can sort of duct tape it to the kitchen sink or down a drain and then it will just continuously drain and then just get more and more moisture out while you're at work. So there's sort of lots of things on how you're going to use it. Also, how big is the space? Like when I bought both of mine, you know, we were in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Then we went to sort of a slightly bigger two-bedroom apartment and we're now in essentially three to four-bedroom, two-storey, high-ceiling townhouse. So I'm a bit undergunned here. Um, and next, my next self-care purchase will be something a little bit more you know, robust and efficient for that space. So it really depends what you're looking for. Uh, I I might have a link somewhere that sort of lays out the pros and cons of some of the better ones, but I think it's always a good idea to have a quick consultation with a mold testing technician, you know, on Zoom or phone just to discuss your own personal situation and geographic location and the kinds of things that you want to use it for on a regular basis just to get the right thing for you. Because it's not it's not a cheap purchase. You're looking at, you know, roughly $700. You can definitely spend more than that. Yeah. Uh, and you, you want to you get that right. Because well looked after, that's going to last you for a decade, maybe more. Mm. Um, and certainly it, it's worth getting that right the first time if you can. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I wholeheartedly agree. I think I went down a billion um, holes before before deciding what I would purchase Mm. when it came to purchasing my air purifier in particular. I actually, I actually got it when all of the, um, the bushfires were happening in Australia and there was just Mm. like so Mm. much smoke um, everywhere. And then we were living near a busy road and there were just a bunch of different things happening um and i still have mine and it's great Mm, i still use it but yeah my dehumidifier game needs some upping that's for sure (laughs) we'll talk don't you worry (laughs) we'll talk we will talk (laughs) okay so i'm mindful of time so i just want to first ask you two more questions Mm. one is is there anything else or any other ways to know if there's mold or moisture or a moisture problem in your home Mm. and then two i know that you have a webinar coming up shortly which i'd love Um, for you to share more about, or it might have already passed by the time we have released this, but perhaps they can access the replay and Mm. also um, mold-proof your home, share the things. Oh my gosh. Okay. So 
There are lots of other ways to know whether your home has a moisture or mold problem. And that is exactly what my webinar is going to be about because it is like a whole, well, it's probably not quite an hour, but it's like it would be the equivalent of another episode. So I'm not going to dive into that because then, you know, people are going to run out of time. But mold is microscopic. And so what I want to say about that is, and I know I've said this before and I'll probably say it another thousand times, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. Mm. And it's only when things get quite bad that you'll actually see that characteristic patch of mould, whatever size it ends up being. So you want to be looking out for the other signs that there's a moisture or a mould problem. And I guess... I guess the two things that are just popping straight into my mind that people will probably be able to relate to really easily is the sense of smell. So if your home is healthy and in good nick, it just shouldn't smell like anything. It should smell like just fresh nothing. And most properties have some kind of aroma slash odour. So if there is any sort of smell anywhere in a wardrobe or in a particular room or your home has a smell or your pillow has a smell your mattress has a smell there is microbial growth happening there so if you notice if you walk into your wardrobe a musty smell or it doesn't mold has the classic musty smell but the vocs it produces can actually smell like anything dirty socks vomit alcohol vinegar wet dog like Mm, I do run through a lot of those in the webinar but if you just notice there's a a scent to a space it's a bit like when you go into a library there's like a book smell that's like a specific type of mold that grows on paper and that's not necessarily problematic for most people but um if there's a smell there's a there's there's a problem there's a problem Mm. um sometimes it even doesn't smell too bad like it might even smell like timber but it's because the mold is consuming the timber the other thing is just tuning into your senses is there a room that feels stuffy like it feels stifling to be in there that's Mm. a sign there's high humidity and if you've bought a thermohygrometer you'll be able to tell um but it Basically, the more moisture in the air, the less you're able to evaporate um, your own body heat with sweat because it's too wet to do that. And that's why it feels stuffy and your skin feels sticky. If you're in a colder climate, it may not feel stuffy, but it might just feel colder and damper and more sort of dungeony, cave-like because of the dampness. So Mm. does does it feel damper? Does your skin feel different in there? Does the air hit different, you know, um, compared to the rest of the house? So um, they would probably be a couple of red flags. And if you would like to learn the other ones, um, there there is a link in the show notes for the webinar. If you have missed the date for it, don't worry. I'm going to um, offer it as a replay too. So if you sign up for it and it's past the live date, you'll still get access. Um, But this will give you a checklist and, and hopefully prompt you just to think about your home in a new way. And will likely give you an early warning even before some of those tools might that there's a problem. So definitely worth knowing. 
Amazing. And I'll we'll make sure the links are in the show notes, but also mm. I'm sure that if they just jump over to your Instagram bio at some point, um, mm-hmm. they can find it. And if you ever get stuck, because um, occasionally things do break in the tech world, please just um, send Amy an email or Instagram, DM her or or me, and I can help put you on the right path as well, just in mm. case anything technologically goes <laughs> wrong. I know it happens sometimes in launches for me as well, so I always just like mm. to remind people of that. Mm. And then what about mold-proof your home? So ah, yes. um, okay. when is that starting and, and who is that for? All right, so that's available in March, <clears throat> so not too far away now and probably just around the corner, if not already ready by the time this episode comes out. But Mold Proof Your Home is an e-course designed to teach you exactly how to prevent mold in your home and all the various rooms and all the various ways moisture intrusion or um, excessive humidity can happen. It does go into a bit more depth about how to use those tools that I mentioned, but also teaches you what you need to know about how to remedy a leak or a burst pipe. Um, It also gives you access to resources for the professionals you might need, how to choose the right one, what to look for, databases to actually find someone efficiently. Um, There's also a section in there around the health effects of mould. And this might be of interest to you if you've become unwell as a result of a leak, either at work or in a rental, and you need some material for a tribunal case as well. One of the Things that I do most frequently is helping tenants uh, at the tenancy tribunal or, or, you know, people stuck in offices that are water damaged to be able to work from home, things like that, Um, or even just for better medical care as well. You know, I I had one client who was living in um, an apartment block in Sydney built by one of the big apartment block builders who are well known for concrete cancer, by the way. Um, I'm sure everyone can guess who they are, but um, poor ventilation meant a mould problem sprouted up. They all ended up sleeping on a mattress in the living room and they had two young children. And at the time, their baby was about six months old, chronic respiratory problems. And get this, they took the child to RPA in Camperdown and the respiratory, like the head respiratory person there said, no, mold can't cause these symptoms. And I had to share like 14 different papers Mm -hmm. that outlined that exactly what this baby had could be triggered by mold. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's again, environmental medicine is not something that's taught in orthodox Mm -hmm. colleges. And to be honest, it's also not taught that much or very well in naturopathic colleges. So there is a big blind spot with clinicians that I am looking to fill. And so anyone who's either currently got a mold problem who needs help immediately or anyone who's looking to prevent one or who's maybe has had one in the past and they want to avoid it again and just cares about the microbiome of their home and understands that they need it to be healthy. And what you might have as a health problem may have nothing to do with mold but you know that you need to set your environment up such that it supports you to recover more rapidly and more completely, this is going to be the most cost-effective and useful way to actually get that right from the get-go and would be especially important if you're building a home or you've moved into a new home. And, in fact, the last thing I'll mention, one of the bonuses in the course is training on how to inspect a property yourself. Now. 
it's not a substitute for a building biologist, obviously. But what it means is if you're going out there looking for rental properties or if you're looking for a place to buy, you can actually spot a lot of the problems or find them uh, much more efficiently. And that will save you money from engaging a professional to like find obvious stuff. And that way, when you found something, especially if you're going to buy and you're handing over a chunk of cash, you know, it's the biggest investment most of us will ever make. You can then also provide the checklist to your building biologist and say, here's what I've done. Please go and find the other stuff that I may have missed, you know, and and yeah. you're just winning all around. So mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of I kind of want to say it's for everyone, but I was you know. about to say, so um it's for everyone. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have much. to, I will. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. It just sounds yeah, incredible because you know, once you learn it, you can't unlearn it. And then it's there as a toolkit for you to use throughout your whole life to help your family, your friends, your mm-hmm. clients. If you're a practitioner that happens to be listening in whatever industry, I think it's just the more people that are aware of this, the better. And then eventually, hopefully, we can, you know, optimistically change some <laughs> of the things that happen that are just shitty when people are building homes that just shouldn't happen. Yeah, so happen. I'm yeah. very excited about you releasing this course. <laughs> and yeah, we'll make sure everything is linked in the show notes and available um, on our various channels as well. Channels, lol, sound like a YouTube. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I would make a terrible YouTuber. Anyway, that's okay. <laughs> Problem for another day. Anything else that you want to finish up with? No, just other than if you have any questions about it at any time, please just reach out and let me know. Um, in some cases, you know, if you're in a particular situation, I might say get a building biologist straight away or a consultation with me might be all you need. But what I love about this is it's just the complete package of everything you could ever possibly want to know. Um, And Mm. it's something that you can just dip in and out of as and when you need it and will be updated over time. And I guess what I like about it is in the past I've done, I've actually trained people on how to inspect properties. Mm. The trouble is there's so much information to take in. You can't absorb it all. And then you sort of walk away from a session in all likelihood feeling a bit overwhelmed and wishing you could go back and like review it again. And so in this way, you know, I'm putting it all in there and it's going to support my clients as well. I'm actually creating this in part as a tool for them so I don't have to spend their precious consultation time repeating myself with things that I've already got recorded. But it is just going to be a great tool to raise awareness as well. And that's really my biggest passion is, as you said, once you know, you can't unknow. And then you're, you know, all, you think about all the people, you know, like friends, family, it's, it's estimated that we each have about 40 close contacts between friends, family, and colleagues. So for each person who hears one of our episodes on anything for that matter, but in this case, mold is going to have at least 40 other people in their lives that are going to benefit from them having that knowledge and for them being able to share it when the time comes, you know, either because something's happened or even just in casual conversation. And that just brings me a lot of joy and a real sense of peace, knowing that one day this is going to be as obvious and as well understood as, you know, those bigger things that we all kind of take for granted now. 
I love that. I love that. And what a beautiful note to wrap on. Wrap, wrap on to wrap up on. <laughs> I'll wrap it for I you if I you want. Wrap it for you guys. So <laughs> all right. Amazing. Well, we will see or um, be in your ear holes all next week, and um, have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful one, guys. Bye.